there were easily 20 people who were like next to us in the space you know it wasn't super crowded but there were people who were around us and they're just kind of looking straight you know watching the band eyes straight ahead kind of thing and they would have been aware of the fact that there was you know something going on and yeah just nothing the voice you just heard belongs to a woman named caitlin so she's talking about a sort of pretty full-on sexual harassment incident that happened at a music festival at the laneway music festival in 2017 to be exact we're going to unpack the incident in a bit but For the purpose of this episode, I want you to try and put yourself not so much in Caitlin's shoes, but in the hopefully mudproof festival shoes of everyone around her. So I want you to imagine being one of the dozens or so people who witnessed this particular incident. And I want you to ask yourself, what would you have done? Would you have stepped in? Would you have called security? Would you have done nothing? Just not gotten involved at all. What if it was your friend who it happened to? Would that change anything? And hey, there's no judgment here. We're all friends. You can be honest. Because in this episode, we're going to take a look at the role of the witness in cases of sexual harassment. What could, should, would you do if you saw something go down? Sexism and the City. G'day, everyone. You are listening to Sexism and the City, a planned international Australia podcast. They're all about equality for girls. Don't you know it? I'm your host, Jan Fran. Thanks so much for being here with me today. All right, let's go back to Caitlin on that sunny Sydney day at the Laneway Music Festival. And just a heads up, this episode deals with themes of sexual harassment and assault and, A, probably not suitable for little ears, He's Caitlin. So we're sitting there watching gang interviews. I'm there watching their set, as I always will, whenever they play at a festival. And I'm kind of not watching a little bit because I'm, I think I'm facing up the hill, possibly to get my pale face out of the sun. I'm chatting to Jono and our other friend, Shannon. And a guy kind of who's making his way sideways through the crowd comes up behind me. Or rather not behind me, kind of comes up to my side and kind of pushes himself against against my side and cups my ass like what I would characterize as a deep cup uh like his fingers kind of go way underneath and you know to the point where they're brushing my vagina basically I'm wearing right that is a deep cup it is a deep cup I'm wearing thick thick um and not particularly form-fitting denim shorts not that it matters what I was wearing but like yeah just so you could feel all those details yeah. yeah um through the shorts and he leans in close and he says very close in my ear, your house is gorgeous or something <sighs> something to that effect. Like bit of a hit and run and just kind of moves on. And I stand there for a second and for a second there's that like, oh, God, I don't want to have to deal with this. I'm just going to put it out there that probably every girl slash woman who has ever been sexually harassed like that has had this sliding doors moment of do I leave it or do I say something here? Here's what Caitlin did. And I look over at him where he's going through the crowd. He's wearing like a little cheap captain's hat. And I say, what the f***, dude? And Jono and Shannon were just like, 
what happened? I was like, that guy just groped me. Jono and Shannon are Caitlin's mates. Uh, it was just the three of them at the festival together, and that's key to how the story plays out. So here's Jono. I mean, the guy just, like, smelled of bad news before he even came through. Like, he just looked like he had too much to drink. He was in a pack. There were three of them, I think, Caitlin, by the end of it. Yeah, three. So, Caitlin, you went after the guy or you called out to him. Yeah, I was like, what? I, I, she just hollered him down. Yeah, and, and I said, that guy groped me. And I kind of said it loud enough that it was mostly kind of for my friends so they knew that that had just happened to me. But also because, I mean, I did, I did want to see if anybody else would, I don't know, I had this sudden vision of like everyone piling on him a bit and just being like, what the hell, dude? And like, I've seen that occasionally where, you know, I saw it at Splendour this year mm. where people get, get shouted down and shouted out of a crowd for behaving badly in kind of various ways. Yeah, I mean, it was in the middle of a loud rock song and, you know, and everyone was kind of more focused on that. Basically, of the people standing around them, not one person budged. There were 20, I think, is an underestimation. There probably were 100 people within earshot. It was crazy. Like, we were in a really, we were at the most packed stage and the most packed time of the day. And that was the problem that we had is that there was not a single person who wanted to step up or even remotely come into our area and say, like, we agree, this is not cool. Let's recap this quickly. You have got a woman who was groped in a packed public place. You have scores of people who either saw it or heard it happen and ignored it. You've got the guy that groped her, flanked by his two drunk mates, and you've got Jono. Did you feel like you had to do anything in particular in that situation, Jono, being the only dude in that group? I was still kind of hovering around and making it clear that I was with them and I didn't think it was acceptable. And then I kind of just went straight to the guy. I'm like, mate, you just can't do that. Like, are you aware of what you just did or something to that effect? And he just turned around. They all turned around and it just, the, the whole thing changed. The level of malice and the way that they started talking completely changed. It was almost like the girls didn't exist at that point. Mm. Right. It became a thing between one dude and another dude. Precisely. One and, dude and three and dudes. One dude and three dudes. Really right. And suddenly they felt very, very comfortable to start a fight with me, um, which was really on the verge of happening. They were kind of looking at me and it was basically like the, if you say one more thing, we're going to fight you kind of thing. It was like that knife edge point. Did you feel like at any point that things might escalate to violence? Yeah, absolutely. I knew that if I had basically insulted them or engaged with them beyond the level that I had, which is this is unacceptable, I think you shouldn't have done this, and I'm standing my ground. Mm -hmm. If I had hurled insults back at them, if I had actually gotten up in their face a bit more, that would have been it. I would have been on the floor. This is a scenario that anyone can find themselves in. Right, you're minding your own business at a music festival. Your friend is groped by some dropkick. You call it out, and suddenly you're in a situation where you could get quite hurt. Is it any wonder that most of us probably wouldn't step in? So I'm basing that assertion off numbers, by the way. Uh, Plan International Australia actually looked into this and they found that 75% of girls in Sydney who had experienced sexual harassment or assault say that it happened in front of bystanders. But only in 16% of those cases did someone actually step in to help. And according to criminology expert Dr Bianca Philiborn, there could be a very specific reason why. If we're talking about things that happen in public space when there's lots of other people around who also uh, have also seen what's happened, there's this 
phenomena called diffusion of responsibility, which basically means that we think that someone else will step in and do it instead. So I won't step in because I'm sure there's someone else here who will do something and who's more qualified to you know, intervene than I am. So it's almost like the more people there are around, the less likely one of them is to step in. Exactly, because it's not clear that you have a responsibility to do something in that moment. There is a really well-known and kind of horrifying example of what Dr. Philiborn is talking about. In 1964, a woman named Kitty Genovese was raped and murdered on a street in Queens, New York. She was stabbed 14 times and basically left for dead 30 metres from her home. I know it's a horrible incident. According to newspaper articles at the time, her ordeal was witnessed by no less than 38 people, none of whom did a single thing to stop it. Since then, uh, that number 38 has been found to have been grossly exaggerated. And there has been a number of inconsistencies actually found in the original reporting as well. But the story gave rise to a very real phenomenon, sometimes referred to as the bystander effect. The idea that we're less likely to help someone out if there are other people around. But here's something interesting to note. When it comes to sexual harassment or violence, there's actually a difference between the way that men and women react. So we know that women are more likely to step in in general, again, because women are more likely to recognise things as being sexual harassment and sexual violence. Quite a number of the people I spoke to said that actually experiencing harassment had made them more likely to step in and to do something and to speak up when they see it happening. Right, because they've been put in that position. Exactly, that's right. So... Could all of this explain why Caitlin's friend Shannon stepped in immediately during the laneway incident or why the scores of bystanders around them didn't? I don't know. Maybe. You'll be pleased to know, though, that Captain Hands and his douchey sidekicks, as Caitlin calls them, eventually backed off. But the whole interaction, I think, really got to Jono. He actually ended up writing about it for The Guardian. The piece was called, If Festival Crowds Can Unite to Help a Crowd Surfer, They Can Unite Against Sexual Assault. Which, yeah, I don't know, That's that sounds like a fair point. But in it, he basically called out those who didn't step in, but also kind of reflected on what happened when he did. Jono, you then reflected on this and wrote that quote unquote, being a regular guy had actually made me the weakest person in the scenario where I should have been the strongest. Correct. Did that make you feel like less of a man or something like that, that you didn't beat them up on my behalf or something? I think I was reflecting on, so Caitlin and I are both friendly with the singer of Gang of Youths, who is like carved from a mountain. Yeah. Basically what I was reflecting on is if I was him, if he was me in this situation. So if Dave from Gang of Youths was standing next to Shannon and Caitlin and this situation had gone down and David turned around to the guy and said, dude, what the f***? You could have been sure that they would have been on their knees begging for forgiveness or at the very least scampering off very quickly. And that was what I was talking about. Did that kind of touch on some insecurity for you? Like, is it, was it part of that? No, it was like, I'm, I'm fine with my physicality. It's more that in situations like that, you feel it. Generally in situations in my life where that's not a problem, you know what I mean? And I feel very physically fit and fine, but I don't fight. That's just not a thing that I do. 
So yeah. if it if it comes to a point where I need to use an appropriate level of menace or whatever it is to get my point across because general reasoning is not working, which is what was happening in this situation, I had no leg to stand on because I'm a pretty genial person and I don't really exude the sense of I will f- with you. And I think that that was kind of more the point is that by being just a regular person's quote unquote in that scenario, it did make me the weakest just because it didn't allow me to exude, like to kind of feedback off that tendency, which is not the right way to do it. But unfortunately, sometimes you have to fight fire with fire with these people. Ah, the old fight fire with fire strategy. Yeah. The thing with that approach is that you have to make sure you don't get burnt in the process. The allegation is made that Jono had assaulted the other person, then I suppose there's a risk that Jono could be the subject of some type of charge or the like. That's Kamal Farouk. He's a lawyer with Morris Blackburn. By trying to stop an assault, he reckons there is a slim chance that you could be charged with assault yourself. Obviously, the police would investigate and weigh that up and, and make a decision, and I doubt Jono would say that he intervened in self-defense in self-defense or in defense of his yep. friend and that he used no more force than was reasonably necessary. How do you determine that, though? There's no absolute lines around that. It's all very contextually based. So basically, if you witness someone getting assaulted in public, intervene, but not that much. Basically, it's similar to the law of self-defense that you're entitled to use, for example, reasonable force to stop the commission of an assault, including a sexual assault. That doesn't mean that you can just go in there and just physically beat somebody up. It's not about retribution or punishment. It's about using no more than is absolutely reasonable force in any particular circumstances to stop an offence occurring. And a lot of the times they're making a choice sort of off the cuff in the moment. They want to try and de-escalate what could potentially be a violent situation. They're probably not thinking about it too much in reasonable legal terms. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, the key thing is, is that people should obviously in that moment, if they have the capacity to do so, just think about what the options are. I know you've got to make very quick decisions. It might be rather than physically weighing in, you might endeavour to kind of try and get the victim away from the perpetrator, adopt different strategies uh, which don't involve the application of physical force. So you might try to do that in the first instance. In many situations, there are no perfect choices and it's a, a decision that one has to make in the moment, but it does carry legal consequences. Jan, could I give a different perspective on that scenario? Please, yeah. That's Kate Jenkins. She's the Sex Discrimination Commissioner at the Human Rights Commission. I do think talking about that, that expectation on Jono. So it should not be an expectation on Jono that he fixes this, but there is something about our attitudes to women at the moment. Firstly, the stats are in terms of violence, that women are at most risk of violence actually in their own home from someone that they know. Men, however, are at most risk of violence in a public place like exactly that scenario in a recreational or public space from another man that they don't know. 
And so you've just described exactly the classic conversation we have about violence in public spaces and a lot of the conversations about family violence is realising that actually a lot of violence against women is behind closed doors in homes. Mm. So then when I listen to that, Kamal's comment is exactly right. We need to work on gender equality and respect for women. So gangs of men don't think that they can just touch, grope, do whatever to a woman in a crowded place, unwelcome, clearly inappropriate. But the idea of masculinity now shouldn't be that the onus was then on Jono to somehow, you know, intervene at this point. See, there is this part of me that feels sorry for dudes because there is this sort of unspoken pressure on them to intervene when they witness sexual harassment being perpetrated, particularly if it's being perpetrated by another dude. And I don't know if that is the best way to look at it. I think ultimately all bystanders, whatever your age, size, gender, you know, I think they all play just as important a role as the other. And often I I don't actually think it involves physical intervention at all because when we think harassment, we think of it happening on the streets or in festivals or in bars or in, you know, alleyways, but it actually happens in places where we would spend the majority of our time. For example, at work. And in that arena, the role of the bystander, again, is crucial. The Human Rights Commission recently conducted a survey on sexual harassment in the workplace, but before we dive in, how do you define sexual harassment and or sexual assault at the Human Rights Commission? It's unwelcome conduct of a sexual nature where the person receiving the conduct could reasonably be offended, humiliated or intimidated. So it's quite a broad definition. It doesn't involve criminal conduct, but it can include sexual or physical assault. Okay, so sexual assault can fall into the definition of sexual harassment. Yes, because by nature it is unwelcome conduct of a sexual nature that's offensive. Kamal, how how would you define it? Oh, well, exactly how Kate defined it. Um, okay. That's uh, good to know. Yeah, <laughs> the lawyers agree. She's the Sex exactly. Discrimination Commissioner and she knows what <laughs> what sexual harassment means under the Act. Okay. I, lo- I love when there's a consensus. Now the bad news. What our survey in the big picture told us, which was worrying, was that one in three Australian workers uh, had been sexually harassed in the last five years at work. And that's an increase on one in five when we surveyed in 2012. That's that's terrible. It is terrible. And I think everyone assumes things get better with time and, you know, young people won't tolerate sexual harassment anymore. But in practice, what is even worse is that at most risk were people 18 to 29 years of age. So 45% of that group had been sexually harassed in the previous five years. I want you to think about your workplace. Have you ever experienced unwelcome conduct of a sexual nature? What was it? How did it play out? Where did it happen? How did you respond? How did you feel about it? Did you ever see it happening Did you ever see it or hear about it happening to a colleague? And if so, what did you do? If you answered nothing to that last question, to be honest, I I would not blame you. The thing that both Kate and Kamal agreed on is that the biggest concern bystanders have in reporting harassment at work is losing their job 
So if you're a victim, that's often the reason why you don't want to complain. And if you're a bystander, it's the same. You don't want to risk losing your job, yeah. even if you know it's the right thing to do. It's much harder, I think, for a bystander to intervene as an individual in the workplace because there are, or there should be, at least formal processes that mean other people will invariably have to get involved. But if your workplace is not equipped to deal with sexual harassment complaints or not open to it or the HR department is staffed by people who don't really care or there is no HR department, it makes coming forward really hard. Still, Kay Jenkins says it is worth doing. But that was one of the good parts of the survey results to hear that actually when people did intervene, you know, in almost half of them, there was a direct result and imagine what impact that could have over time. Mm, Imagine indeed. See, I'm a good podcast host, okay? I'm not going to leave you with the bad news. We start with the bad news. We end with the good news, okay? I'm big on hope and also I'm very big on pragmatism. So I think the question here is what can be done in a scenario like this? What can you do? So... Okay, let's just imagine a scenario where somebody has witnessed a case of sexual harassment in public. Talk us through some of the things they can or should do. It depends whereabouts in public. If we're talking about a licensed venue, for example, it might be going up to the security or the bar staff and letting them know what you've just seen and encouraging them to you know, intervene and do something. If there's no one else around that you can go and say something to, uh, it might be about going up to the person who's been harassed and asking them if they're okay, you know, letting them know that you saw what happened and that you didn't think that that was okay. Can you do anything to help them? You know, can you call anyone for them? Can you help them find their friends? But just supporting and, you know, believing them through that experience. If it's safe to do so, you could think about saying something to the the perpetrator. If the perpetrator is someone you know, if it's one of your mates, you might be able to say something to them like, hey man, that that wasn't okay, I'm not cool with what you just did, and challenging them on that behaviour. Part of the reason that it's so important for bystanders to step in and take responsibility is because sexual violence is everyone's responsibility. We can't just expect that it's up to the victim survivor to stop what's happening or take preventative action because we know that doesn't work. We know that sexual violence is something that's embedded within our social, cultural and community norms. So it's everyone's responsibility to step in and and take action and stop it, hopefully before it happens, but if not, you know, while an incident is happening and to provide support for for people in the aftermath of of these incidents, it's really essential. And this, I think, is the key point. The thing that I want y'all to take away from this episode is that stopping sexual harassment and or violence, I think, is everyone's responsibility. You, me, we, they, him, her. I think everyone has a role to play. It's not just the problem of the person getting harassed or the harasser. And if you're in a situation where you see someone harassing someone else, there are things that you can say and do. And sometimes the outcome won't necessarily be what you hoped, but at least you make it known that it's not okay. I'm 
I'm big on baby steps, people, and I think that's the first one. If this episode has triggered anything for you and you'd like to speak to a counsellor, you can call 1-800-RESPECT. Sexism in the City is a Plan International Australia podcast. It is hosted by me, Jan Fran. The series is produced by Kayla Robertson. Associate producer is Gavin Neighbour. It's mixed by Gavin Neighbour at the Hallwood Recording Studio at the University of Melbourne. Researched by Andrea Kano-Batero and Madeline Spencer. Artwork is by Donna Kelly. Theme music is by Paul Greenstein. The song that we heard at the start of the episode is a Triple J recording of Gang of Youths from Splendour in the Grass in 2018. If you have any thoughts on this episode or want to find out more about Plan's work, head to Plan International Australia's website at plan.org.au forward slash podcast or find me on Facebook under Jan Fran. I'd love to hear from you. Catch you soon.